Father of all knowledge, we thank you for your word that you've put down for us to remember different things about you and your personality and your love for us. And pray as we listen to more from you this morning. Everything that is of you, we pray that it would stick, and everything that is not of you, we ask that it would fall away. We ask that words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our Savior, friend, and King. Amen. When we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. I can't resist bookshops. It's fatal. I now go as far as to refuse to enter a bookshop if I have my wallet on me. When I was at New Wine recently, I took only 20 pounds in cash with me for the sole purpose of buying books. And still, one day I went without food at lunchtime just so that I could afford another book. I've read a lot of books on prayer, but I wish someone had told me about this book earlier by Bill Hybels, which is entitled Too Busy Not to Pray. Mind you, I think I needed to get to where I am now and learn some other things before I could really engage with prayer the way that I do now. But nonetheless, this is a great book. It caught my attention because the title is very similar to a quote from Desmond Tutu, which I gazed at last year hanging up on a church's wall in Edinburgh. I am far too busy not to pray for at least two hours every day. How do you pray for two hours a day, I thought? That's a bit excessive, don't you think? A few years back, an Austrian pastor friend of mine had met up with other Lutheran pastors, and they came to the topic of prayer. How many hours of the week do you pray, they asked each other. The general consensus was three hours a week. This was sufficient to pray for their parishes. At least six hours piped up one voice. They all turned to give this person a very long look. Six hours? Isn't that a bit of a waste of time when you have so much to do? Someone asked. God runs our church, not me, replied the person. If I want to keep up with him, I need to pray at least six hours a week. God's power can change circumstances and relationships. It can uh, help us to face daily struggles. It can lead to psychological and physical problems being fixed, remove marital, marital obstructions, and meet financial needs. I was reminded, reminded only last week of the passage in James that states we do not have because we have not asked God for it. So why don't we ask God for it? There are many reasons that we do not ask God for things in prayer. God is too busy to, look, uh, to listen to me. I don't want to bother him with my request when there are others in greater need. I am not worthy to receive anything from God. And yet the scriptures overflow with passages teaching that our almighty, omnipotent God is ready, willing, and able to answer the prayers of his followers. He delights in bestowing gifts on his children. And Bill Hybels unpicks these points in his book that God is ready to hear our prayers, willing to meet our needs, and able to do so. His book helped me to realize that I don't always believe in the power of prayer. 
And yet, if we are willing to invite God to involve himself in our daily challenges, we will experience his prevailing power, whatever it is, whatever it is that is needed. Hybels continues, that power may come in the form of wisdom, an idea that you desperately need and can't come up with yourself. It may come in the form of courage, greater than, the, greater than you could ever muster. It may come in the form of confidence or perseverance, uncommon staying power, a changed attitude towards a spouse or a child or a parent, changed circumstances and maybe even miracles. However, however it comes, God's prevailing power is released in the lives of those who pray. If we don't pray in its many different forms, we cut ourselves off from God's prevailing power. And if we try and go it alone, it is very hard for God to release his power in our lives. He respects us and our wills. When we put our hands in our pockets and say, I can handle this on my own, like a wise parent, he backs off. A lot of this comes down to trust. Do we trust God to help us to act in our best interests, to be capable and able to act at the right point? And our passage today is a brilliant example of how prayer works and doesn't work in a very immediate way. Some prayer is instant and some prayer goes deep and we don't see the results straight away. But here we have a fantastic demonstration from Moses. So the whole Israelite community are following God around the desert, and they find themselves in Rephidim without water. One could say that they are a rather moany lot, but to be fair, when I go hiking with my friends and it's hot and sweat is rolling down my eyebrows and I don't quite know where we're going and where we are because someone else has organized the trip and they have the map, then I get very cranky. Why did I agree to go on this stupid hike when I could be at home on the couch watching snooker? So I empathize with the Israelites here. God is gracious and answers Moses' prayer, instructing him to take some of the elders to the rock of Horeb and strike the rock with his staff. Notice Moses is told to take the elders with him, witnesses to the miracle, so that they can spread the news throughout the camp. God has saved us yet again. He has provided water from a rock. No wonder they wanted to keep this staff in the Ark of the Covenant later on. It's got history in being involved with God's provision for his people. And then we read verse 8 that the Amalekites came and attacked them. The text states at Rephidim. Uh, so if the book of Exodus is accurate... This would mean that this was within a short time of the water out of the rock thing. The pesky uh, Amalekites are attacking them, but God has just shown them that he can take care of them. Are they going to trust God, or are they going to put their hands in their pockets, figuratively speaking, and say, we can handle this on our own? Moses turns to Joshua, his trusted second-in-command. Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I wonder what was going on through Joshua's head at this point. How much of God's power had he seen? Did he agree, being grateful to Moses and trusting God? Or did he think, sure, in that case, and go out to pick his best men? I think and hope the former.
We have a comparison here between verses 5 and verse 9b. Verse 5, go out in front of the people, says the Lord. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And in verse 9, choose some men and go out and fight. I will stand with the staff of God in my hands. Notice that there is both prayer and action. Verse 10, Joshua fought the Amalekites, and Moses went to the top of the hill and prayed. Recently at New Wine, I came forward to pray for others during one of the ministry times, and as I was praying with the second person that I'd been drawn to, I saw a lady in a mobility scooter. I saw people come, take one look at her, and scuttle off elsewhere. She remained alone in a massive crowd of intercessors. I thought to myself, well, why not? Maybe she wants to be healed. This could be an adventure. So when I'd finished with the person that I was with, I went up and prayed for the lady in her mobility scooter, Margaret, laying my hand on her right arm. Now, my hand then got very hot, very fast, which often denotes that God is healing something. And I was on the verge of taking my hand off because it actually hurt. I prayed to support her prayers, and I tried not to presume what she was praying for, though inwardly I was really hoping that she would suddenly stand up and start dancing. Eventually, she opened her eyes and told me what she had been praying for, which was nothing like what I had imagined, and not what had brought her to the front for prayer either. She finished by thanking me uh, for my persevering and said that she suffers from MS and hadn't been able to feel very much in her right side for years. So the feeling that had come through my touch on her right arm, arm had been a wonderful sensation. Only God can do these things. Back to the passage. Uh, verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Does this remind you of anything? A man of God interceding for his people, his hands lifted high with two people on either side. Jesus did not have friends on either side to aid him in his task. No one brought him a stone to sit on and make him feel comfortable. And yet, like Moses, he chose to put his hands where he did to serve his people and his God. He suffered agony greater than Moses would have done, perfect sacrifice for his friends and family. Finally, in verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. Make sure that Joshua hears it. Moses knew his servant well knew the battle might go to his head, that his soldiers had saved the day. But Moses loved Joshua, and he wanted him to know the miracle that had taken place. Aaron, her, 
tell my servant Joshua, when my hands were lifted to the sky, you guys were winning. And when I got cramp and rested my arms, blood began to flow in my arm and amongst our army. But as I raised my arms again to heaven, the Lord was with you. The battle is the Lord's. Father Thomas Keating of St. Joseph's Abbey in Massachusetts, in his book, Open Heart, Open Mind, writes, according to the Baltimore Catechism, prayer is the raising of the mind and heart to God. In using this ancient formula, it is important to keep in mind that it is not we who do the lifting. In every kind of prayer, the raising of the heart and mind can be the work only of the Spirit. In prayer inspired by the Spirit, we let ourselves flow with the lifting movement and drop all reflection. Reflection is an important preliminary to prayer, but it is not prayer. Prayer is not only the offering of interior acts to God, it is the offering of ourselves, of who and what we are. Our adventure of prayer begins with God's willingness to listen. 1 John 4.19 states, We love because he first loved us. And we can be generous because he has first been generous to and for us. We have our example as the one who lifted all of who he was and in submission was nailed to a tree. His arms open wide to us and in intercession for us. He is the master of prayer, understanding it and wanting to teach each and every one about it. He did not stop praying upon the cross. And we should go and do likewise. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.